Well, good morning. You know, I'd love for you now to take your Bibles, and we're going to be turning to our Older Testament, to Psalms. And Psalm 138 deals with a particular aspect of thankfulness that I want to draw out for us to prep our hearts for our time this week where people gather around tables to give thanks, of course, to God. While people are involved in the kitchens this week of preparing for Thanksgiving, I think it's more important that believers be involved this Sunday in preparing their hearts for Thanksgiving 365 days out of the year. And so here you and I find that in Psalm 138, which is the first of eight consecutive psalms written by David that have common themes associated with them before you end with the Hallelujah Psalms, that there is something here that I think is going to resonate within our hearts today as we prep our minds, our souls, our hearts for Thanksgiving Day. So if you would look with me now at Psalm 138, we're going to begin with verse 1, and here David pens these thoughts. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. I'll bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things in your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. So this is a thanksgiving psalm that has been penned by David that I think relates very well to where we're at today. And in order to fully understand it, we're going to first, of course, look to our Lord in prayer. So, Father, what we're doing now is, with our hearts wide open to you, asking you to speak to us our point of need. We, in turn, want to be able to meet the needs of others. Thank you for, in advance, the Wednesday night service when we gather together and people share from their hearts what it is you've been doing by grace to make a difference in their lives this past year. Pray that children will be listening carefully. What a tremendous educational experience. May each of us, Father, be enriched during that time. Stories to tell. Lessons we've learned. Truths, Father, to be applied. And may the offering given to love and action be used in such a way to truly in this congregation meet the material and financial needs of those that are in difficult times. 
I pray that there will be an outpouring of love expressed through that offering. Meet these needs, Father, we pray. Father, the ultimate needs have to do with our relationship to you. The issues, Father, that might get in the way between us and a true honoring worship of you. Eliminate the distractions, lift the burdens, settle the hearts. In these moments to come, Father, what we're asking now is that as we typically pray, you will warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. We've come here to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at this scene that appears on the screen. It's classic. It stands out. Look at the body language. Analyze the way people are positioned. Look at what's going on in family dynamics. We've got Indians off to the side processing something that perhaps they have not yet heard. We've got a mother tending to an infant. But her other child is watching and observing. Because what she finds at the center of the table is that there's an expression that directs people's attention upward towards the God of grace who meets us at our point of need. This portrait ties together what William Bradford had challenged his people to do. For inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn and wheat and beans, squashes and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of nine and twelve in the daytime on Thursday, November ye 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623, the third year since ye pilgrims landed at ye pilgrim rock. There to listen to ye, pastor, and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. William Bradford, governor of Plymouth Colony, 1623. Words that echo the meaning that's being articulated here in this 138th Psalm, where David, after having gone through some very strenuous, talent, challenging, difficult times, still has found it within his own personal experience to be able to respond to grace with gratitude. Because gratitude is indicative of an awareness of grace. And where grace is overlooked, where grace is underestimated, 
Very typically, gratitude is replaced by cynicism, critical spirit, murmurings, and complaints. But here we find a situation where these individuals who do not have easy circumstances are being challenged to look upward to the one who has taken them across those waters and the one who supplies their and our daily bread. As we now look at this scene, what I want to do is to focus our attention as well upon three considerations found in these verses that I think are going to go a long way to prepping our hearts for the communion experience, the Thanksgiving experience, but also equipping us educationally to better equip those around us and families and friends to be able to better appreciate who God is and what God is doing. Three considerations. The first one is this. As we prepare for Thanksgiving, consider answers to personal prayers which strengthen our faith. In particular, we're going to see that found in verse 3 where David wrote, when I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. Answers to prayers. But in order to understand that, watch how he inches forward to that thought. In verse 1, we're informed, I will praise you, O Lord, David writes, with all my heart. Notice that it's all my heart, not a portion of his heart. A divided heart is not a loyal heart. And so here we have a situation now where this man who is deemed one after God's own heart has given the totality of his heart, no matter what the challenges are, whether it be Saul in 1 Samuel or Absalom in 2 Samuel. Nonetheless, <coughs> while he may feel as though there's an incompleteness to his life experience, there is a totality of his allegiance to his Lord. Are you feeling incomplete in your life experience right now? But do you have a complete loyal heart before God? Notice he says here, I will praise you, O Lord, with my heart, not merely with his lips. But then adds this significant statement. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. <coughs> In 1 Samuel chapter 26, Saul had been pursuing David to put him to death. Saul is crying out now. He recognizes David's voice. Is that your voice, David, my son? You can almost see the look on David's face. His eyes rolled back as Saul calls him his son. But listen to this response and link it now to verse 1. David replied, Yes, it is my lord the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done and what wrong am I guilty of? Now listen, my lord, the king listened to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it 
may they be cursed before the Lord. They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go, serve other gods. These were Jews that were saying this to David. And here David now, in retrospect, is looking back over his experiences. Thankful nonetheless, says, Before the gods I will sing your praise. It happened at the Moody Church. Zechariah Botrus. He shares the gospel to 50 million Muslims in the Middle East each week. And best of all, we're told, Tens of thousands of Muslims that were coming to saving faith in Christ through his ministry. Erwin Lutzer, the pastor there, says, I became acquainted with this man's ministry when World Magazine nominated him as Daniel of the Year in 2008. Well, he recently spoke at the Moody Church under heavy scrutiny since jihadist groups have reportedly posted a death threat of 50 million on his head. Security was tight in the building. He's regarded now as Islam's public enemy number one. After his talk in which he exposed the deceptions of Islam, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, the senior pastor, asked him this question. What price have you had to pay for your boldness in pointing out the errors of Islam and sharing the claims of the gospel? Listen to this response. Whatever price I have had to pay is cheap in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for me in shedding his blood for us. Now look at your life circumstances right now and compare that to this man's statement where there is such a price tag on his head. Yet he recognizes the ultimate price that was paid at that cross. Right now, do you feel like you're paying a price due to the circumstances of life or the decisions you've faced? Have you been able to root a sense of thankfulness in the one who paid the ultimate price? in dying for your sins. A grateful heart is a bold heart. A grateful spirit is a courageous spirit. The person of thanksgiving is not timid when it comes to the cross. David says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. You see, and Pastor Botros would add a second to that. But then David goes on to say, I will bow down toward your holy temple. But he's not yet seen that temple constructed. That's the degree of his faith. 
He'll resource the construction, but it will be his son Solomon who will oversee the construction. And yet here is David with that sense of faith regarding what God will still do, saying, I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name. Are you thankful to God even though you have not yet seen the outcome of your dream? That is exactly what David is doing at this point. That's what re-energizes your spirit in the midst of the challenges of life. He can see the future in the present and does not disconnect the two. He'll praise God's name for your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And then the most beautiful expression flows out of his thoughts. When I called, you answered me. Stop right there. Notice that it does not say, when I called, you said yes to me. It says, when I called, you answered me. Which means then we've got to have a better understanding of how and what God answers. Typically in the scriptures, there are three answers that he delivers to his people. Yes, no, and wait. But each of those three answers are rooted in grace. He says yes graciously. He says no graciously. He says, wait graciously. And what we have to understand is that these answers are all connected because the no of today may be the yes of tomorrow. And the wait of today may be the no of tomorrow. And the no of today may be the wait of tomorrow. All of this is interconnected with one another. Now, if each of these answers are rooted in grace, do we have examples in the Bible of those answers? Take, for example, Elijah, where he stands before the false prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. You feel the heartbeat here? So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And God dramatically answers with a yes, but he also answers with a yes in the immediate sense. Sometimes God does that. But there's also an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul cries out to God to remove the thorn in his flesh. 
And he cries out three times to God for such removal. And God says, no, no, and no. <clears throat> and God does so graciously. Because my grace is sufficient for you. And power is perfected in weakness. And sometimes God says, wait. God had made a promise to Abram of offspring. But in Genesis chapter 16, Abram evidently tried to help out God's timing. You ever try to help God out with his timing? God's will our way. And so Sarai, who is part of this strategy, says, well, it's obvious that God has not blessed, so God must mean that he wants to bless through another means. So here is Hagar. Hagar then delivers Abraham's son by the name of Ishmael. And the repercussions are felt in the Middle East to this very day in the tension between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, the designated son of Abram and Sarai. When we attempt to get ahead of God's statement of wait and force a yes in the midst of the wait, we don't gain time. We lose blessings. Understand the value of the answer Ruby did. John Piper tells the story of Ruby Hamilton, a, a businesswoman in her 50s, stunned at the loss of her husband of 32 years in a car accident. Her anger and disappointment went deeper than a mere typical expression of grief. She had become a follower of Jesus Christ in her late 20s. But her husband did not share her newfound interest in spiritual things. Nonetheless, she had set about praying for him, feverishly, unceasingly, that he would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And one day, when she was praying, John Piper writes, she felt a wave of peace wash over her. That still small voice assuring her that her husband would be okay. She eagerly awaited the day when her husband gave his life to Jesus. And now this. What do you do when life doesn't make sense? Hold that thought. Come over here with me. Roger Simmons was hitchhiking his way home at the end of World War II. He would never forget the date, May 7th. His heavy suitcase is making him tired. He was anxious to take off that army uniform once and for all. Flashing the thumb to the oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a black, sleek, new Cadillac. When to his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door swung open. He ran toward the car, tossed his suitcase in the back, thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the front seat. Going home for keeps, he's asked. Sure am. 
Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Not quite that far. Do you, sir, live in Chicago? I have a business there, the driver said. My name is Hamilton. They talked for a while, and then Roger, a Christian, felt a compulsion to share his faith with this 50-ish, apparently successful businessman. But he kept putting it off till he realized he was now 30 minutes from home. This now or never. Mr. Hamilton, I, I would like to talk to you about something critically important. And then he began to share with Mr. Hamilton the good news of Jesus. The Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road, and Roger expected that he was about to get thrown out of the car when instead the businessman bowed his head and received Jesus and then thanked Roger. This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, quote, unquote. Five years went by. Roger married, had a couple of kids and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for a trip to Chicago, he found a small white business card that had been given to him by Hamilton five years previous. In Chicago, he looked up Hamilton Enterprises, and the receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Hamilton, but he could see Mrs. Hamilton. A little confused, he was ushered into an incredibly beautiful office where he found himself facing a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand. I hear you knew my husband. Roger told her about how Hamilton had picked him up while he was hitchhiking home after the war. Can you tell me what day that was, she asked. Sure, he said. It was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the army. She leans forward. Anything special about that day? He hesitated, not knowing if he should mention how he should shared the gospel of Jesus with her husband. Mrs. Hamilton, I explained the gospel to your husband that day. He pulled over to the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. Explosive sobs shook her body. Finally getting a grip, she quietly then sobbed. I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I truly believe that God would save him. Where's your husband, Ruby? He's dead. He was in a car crash after he let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought that God would not answer. I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought that God would not answer. When I called, you answered me. We don't know if God answered with a yes, a no, or a wait. But we know that God answered. 
And what is the evidence in David's life? You made me bold and stout-hearted. Question. Are you able to be bold and stout-hearted giving thanks to God if God says graciously, no? Are you able to be bold and stout-hearted in giving thanks to God if God graciously answers, wait? Do you see what David is doing for us here as he is expanding our understanding of how God answers? And the waiting of today may be the preparation for the yes of tomorrow. As we prepare for Thanksgiving, consider answers to personal prayers which strengthen our faith. And so now begin to do a mental check over the coming days, over the course of the years of your life as to the way and the whiz and the whens of how God answered. Because you might have a story to tell this week on Wednesday night. Or a story to share one-on-one with somebody who's, who's down because they can't see the connections between God and their experiences. Between the being put on hold of today and the possibility of a yes tomorrow. He didn't say, when I called, you said yes. He did say, when I called, you answered me. And as we prepare for Thanksgiving, consider answers to personal prayers which strengthen our faith. And second of all, as we prepare for Thanksgiving, consider anticipation of global praise which shapes our future. Look at verse 4. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. And now not only do you see a connection between grace and gratitude, now you see a connection between glory and gratitude. And furthermore, what David has now done is not only taken you into the past where he considers answered prayer to gain hindsight. Now he takes you into the future where he provides you and me with foresight. For this is exactly what is described in the book of Revelation in that final day. In that final day. So now as Mr. Netanyahu watches the agreement that has been established last night, between six nations, including the United States of America, pertaining to the nuclear armament of Iran. And all Israel is now a buzz. And what will their response be? We have this ultimate sense of anticipation where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When verse 6, God looks at the big scheme of things, and you and I are told that though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud, you see, he knows from 
afar. Take a look at this plaque. It's found in the Netherlands. It's devoted to the Mayflower of 1620. It's in memory of Pastor John Robinson, the people who boarded that Mayflower. Pastor of the English church worshiping here. Whence at his prompting, they went forth as pilgrim fathers to settle in New England in the year of 1620. Now look very carefully at verse 6 where it says, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. King James of England would not let the separatists practice their faith. They had to go to the Church of England or go to jail. But their faith in Jesus was more important to them than their homes and sometimes life itself. So some of the separatists, especially a group from a village in northeast England known as Scrooby, decided to move to Holland where they were promised religious freedom. But some of them then read John Smith's book, Description of New England, and they said, this time to America. And as they boarded the ship, they were dubbed pilgrims. When they arrived, Squanto, the Indian, said, quote, they are a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond their expectation. He would have been viewed as lowly. But the one who in verse 6 might have been viewed as proud, God knows from afar, this King James, whom some of, them, of us know as the one who oversaw the King James Version, well, he wasn't fond of these pilgrims. I will make them conform, or else I will harry them out of the land, quote, unquote. And yet God has final say the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And notice then how he wove all this together in his sovereign plan for his purposes, so that ultimately, ultimately then, William Bradford, the one who I had spoken of earlier, who was the one instrumental in calling those pilgrims together for a feast, was able to say, Thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by God's hand that made all things of nothing and gives being to all things that are, and as one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone unto many, yea, in some sort to our whole nation. Let the glory of Yahweh have all praise. And David says, may they sing in verse 5 of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. And though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And now you've got hindsight as you look back and you consider answers. And you've got foresight as you look ahead and you've got anticipation. But out of the combination of hindsight and foresight, you now cultivate insight because here then is your third consideration. Leaps out of verse 7 and 8 
or phrase it like this, that as we prepare for thanksgiving, consider, consider assurance right now for your own personal life. Assurance of special protection which calms our fears. Look at verse 7. For though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. He's talking personally to you. You almost feel like you're rephrasing the 23rd Psalm, don't you? He's being honest with you. There are troubles. We walk in the midst of troubles. But now he takes hindsight and foresight, provides insight, and says, you preserve my life. Do you embrace that personally? Look what comes next. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. God's got a purpose for your life. It may look right now as though your life is in disarray. What God does is he pulls together the pieces of life and creates a beautiful picture by His grace, for His glory, utilizing our gratitude for who He is, what He does. For as David says, Your love, O Lord, endures forever. So William Bradford and his extended colony are standing at the shoreline. Look at the scene. What are they watching? The Mayflower is departing. They could be standing there saying, maybe I could have gone back to a more tranquil existence where there is the assurance of a roof over the head, a secure job situation. A routine to life that I now miss. Can you feel that tension inside as they're watching the Mayflower moving further and further and further away from the shoreline? A shoreline populated by people in still a pretty barren land. Not certain about the outcome physically, medically in all aspects of life. But here's the question of the hour. What's your Mayflower? Do you put more stock in your Mayflower or in your God? The Mayflower could remove them from their circumstances. Their God sees them through their circumstances. 
the people who are thankful are not prone to escape life. They're prone to enlist life and use it to bring glory to God. And that brings insight to the heart and a thankful spirit to our souls. Let's stand together. Praising you, God, for who you are. Praising you for how you work. Sometimes you say yes. Sometimes you say wait. And sometimes you say no. But we've got to be able to look back and see how all that fits together in the present. We look ahead and see the ultimate statement of praise in the midst of the chaos of world events of today. And we keep a thankful spirit, remembering how you used people who might have been viewed lowly in the eyes of King James to be the seeding of a nation blessed by you. But Father, there's some here today that need that added sense of assurance, that added sense of protection. They need to be able to hear words like, you preserve my life. Words like, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. And need to come to that inner conviction, your love, O Lord, endures forever. And out of that, we have a thankful spirit. So, Father, in these coming days, with these three incredible considerations that your word has delivered for us, pray that our hearts will be wide open to minister to others, wide open to what you want to do in us and through us. And the result will be Murmurings don't flow from our lips. A critical spirit's not found in our hearts. Instead, Father, we've got this sense of assurance. We've got a God of grace who deserves glory through our gratitude. And for this, we give you now all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.